0: Welcome back, Bashers. This is Jason, player of Tam West Crown, back with you here for another Shop Talk Show, this time with Derek Bruton from the, uh, oh, crud, now I just completely lost it out of my mind, the, uh, no, the <laughs> Dark, Dark Scholars no, Archives. Dark Scholars, Ar- I was going to say the Dark Archive, because that's the society faction, and it just, I was like, that's not right, I am sorry.
1: It's I, all good. It's all five good. Minutes it in confuses already, other yeah. people as well.
0: Uh, so, Derek, why don't you give us a, a heads up? What is Dark Scholar's Archive?
1: So, Dark Scholar's Archives is a special project that I've been working on for just about eight years, in which it is a custom homebrew game for shout out to Professor William Strait at NOVA, Northern Virginia Community College, the Game Knights, Night with a K, Gaming Club. Uh, I was asked to run a special game in order to introduce people to a new rule set, as he has been running a tour game there for nearly 10 years. And as a forever, GM was like, God, please help me. I just want to play games. (laughs) I want to play board games. I want to play Magic Gathering. Derek, you know your stuff. Run a game. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, So we started with group one. That was about seven and a half years ago now. Um, It's called Tales of the Tower. We refer to it as Towerlands. Um, It is a custom homebrew game based off a series of multiple layers of D&D history like Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, Old School Earth, and everything put together into a custom campaign area on a continent that I've been running. Um, It's kind of basically a game where people realize three things happen. One is that choices have consequences whether it's a good choice or a bad choice you see what happens um predominantly that happens where group one makes a choice and then group two further down the line or almost immediately see what the consequence of that choice is two um the world of galerion as paizo publishing has put out has a very meaty meaty lore and it can be a bit confusing, and specifically also for new players, a bit problematic to just kind of deep dive in. Um, Tales of the Tower was basically a way of me getting people into the game, and then having them see connections of how one thing leads to another, and then they can see the whole word cloud together. Um, The third thing is, is that I was hoping to inspire other people to be able to say, I love this game, I'm not too happy about the system or I do love this system and then for them to eventually get the inspiration to go and either run their own game with it within the Pathfinder system or to run their own game in a system that they wanted to learn. and. Um, You know, thus far, I can say those three goals that I've focused on have been very successful in helping with other players. Um, Right now, I am on Group 5. Group 6, unfortunately, was not able to get the uh, gas started that they needed because of COVID. Um, But Group 5, we've adapted um, not as much as I would have liked but we've adapted very well to using Roll Twenty and to using Discord, and uh, I'm very thankful for some of the open source bots that we've been able to use in being helped to continue the game moving forward. We're hoping to be able to do a video by Twitch, but as I'm sure Jason, you've seen earlier, technology is a wonderful and a terrible thing, and is a cruel mistress.
0: Yeah, yeah, we uh, we had a bit of a few technical issues with uh, lots of. Lots of buzzing, and, uh, and I'm sure some of you wouldn't complain about not hearing, being able to hear me, but it wouldn't make for a very good interview. <laughs> so, and for those of you who will be coming at this from uh, another feed, uh, again, I'm Jason from Shield Bash. Shield Bash is an actual play, first edition Pathfinder podcast, playing Serpent Skull, and uh, we generally peg ourselves, uh, pitch ourselves, I should say, as six assholes and will. Uh, so that pretty much tells you everything you need to know about our podcast besides don't let your kids listen but we have a lot of fun and you know we're we we, that is our biggest thing is we all play together because we love playing together Uh, that being said today on shop talk show we are going to be talking about alternate rules now I can tell by Derek's shirt here and the number of pin, the specifics of the pins he's got, and he's pretty familiar with Pathfinder. And as we've said, we are a first edition podcast. While I'm just a player in the podcast, I've got my fair share of DMing experience, and I know the rules pretty dang well. So Pathfinder is a great set of examples for alternate rules words of power instead of spell levels uh mythic adventures instead of standard leveling spell blights the wounds and vigor systems crit and fumble cards and hero points which you know every other system in the world has hero points that's not necessarily a big thing so we're just talking about when and why do you use alternate rules For me, I I find um, them. My wife and I were talking about the words of power specifically because it's such a such a cool concept. Very, uh, and when it was introduced, you know, Skyrim was still kind of a big deal, so it felt very much like you know the the learning words for your dragon shouts and stuff like that. But it's also just a really good creative way to change around when you're tired of like, okay, the party doesn't have an arcane caster. Do I play sorcerer, wizard, or arcanist? Uh... Well, they're all, you know, you just look at the rules and you're just like, meh. But what if you got words of power? So it helps the game feel less stale. Now, you were talking about running basically homebrew stuff, like a whole homebrew world, which is going to introduce a lot of uh, alternate rules. So, like, what was it that really, besides the, the depth of the lore, what was it that really was like, okay... This is why we should have alternate rules for you.
1: I wanted um, the players to be able to realize that things are not all cookie cutter. Like, I wanted to introduce the concepts of combat, of skill checks, or skill challenges, to um, let them realize that, you know, there's okay, there's a basic kind of formula for how this works. But once you've kind of gotten out of kind of the safety of the playground as as you might say that there's a bigger world out there and sometimes certain people do certain things differently so you kind of introduce the next layer of concepts such as if they fail a certain amount of times in a skill challenge or by 5 or more or by 10 or more in a skill check that they can't make that check again or that they realize even if I took the time to take a 10 on this, I'm not going to get the benefit of the actual check because I don't have a high enough bonus for it. And so you try to work on, okay, this is how you introduce aid another or you do it in combat. Okay, the cobalt's gonna aid the other cobalt to get more AC when he then attacks with a spear on his next turn, kind of, kind of compounding that step by step. I was also looking for, I guess the only other way to describe it is a level complexity for myself to be able to help them like see that the rules are there, but the rules are, as the famous line goes, kind of more like guidelines, and you can adapt the way that you want for the group you're playing with, or for your play style, or what your GM style is.
0: Uh, I'm, listeners, I'm going to point out that, that key phrase there. You can adapt the rules for the group you're playing with. Exactly. Not just willy-nilly, but, you know, make it as a thing for the group.
1: Just going off that, I wanted to also introduce them to the idea that not everything is going to be as it seems because uh, I'm running a secondary game now for some friends of mine who always happen to be GMs they wanted to be able to play a game that was loosey-goosey let's go crazy so I was like okay let's use some of my Tales of the Tower baseline and they're like yeah let's do that because you've done some crazy things with that Derek let's go ahead and do that and I was like okay let's do some third party stuff as well let's look at piecemeal armor let's look at you know armor's damage reduction all these other weird things that we don't normally typically use in a game when we're just playing on the fly and just see how it works for us in this game most of these guys have like five six seven ten years of gm experience dm experience but usually it's with a different system so they're not particularly you know connected with all the inner workings or the subtle machinations of pathfinder as a system on its own so, when they're sitting there trying to cast the spell and they realize, why the hell does this monster have spell resistance when it doesn't normally? And they're like, ah, this is not just cookie cutter straight from the bestiary monster. This is a monster that it's been brought up for a specific purpose. Or, normally you don't need to do this kind of a spellcraft check on this spell or detect magic on this spell. Well,. There's something else in the environment that's stopping you from being able to detect it, such as a stupid amount of lead, or there is some viridium or radioactive material nearby that's blocking your ability to detect this spell. It's just kind of not necessarily the complexity of it, but also the added challenge. Um, and these are also guys who, you know, for kicks and giggles, decided, hey, Let's play Tomb of Horrors, but as commoners. <laughs> Why? Because they <laughs> hate themselves.
0: So one of the things I'm kind of getting out of this is, you know, there seems like there this could easily cross the line into just being a jerk, you know, where you're just like, okay, hey, you know, ever like you thought you knew what was going on, but now I'm changing it, you know, like oh, uh, you, you thought you've, you knew
1: how it was normally but then you're dropped into this and all of a sudden you realize you're not in the kiddie pool you're in like the deep depths of the trench of the ocean
0: yeah yeah or like you know you made the the example of the monster with spell resistance but it's like okay well we just fought one in the last room and it didn't have spell resistance like this is the exact same like it seems like it's very easy to cross that line of just you know being behind the screen and trying to go after your players but it sounds like this group that you're talking about this is what they want. Exactly, like They yes. want that level of like, yes. hey, you know, we, we're we tired of, you know, every skeleton is DR5 bludgeoning and immune to cold, and, you know, let's exactly. mix it up for us here. So, that's that sounds like a great time to be able to just, like, change around a lot of the little rules. And that's... How, how important Uh, is consistency with those role changes? See, that's the thing
1: I am always consistent with everything like the monster that has the SR they didn't face that monster in a previous room that's the one time they've encountered that one monster and it has SR and the next time they meet it, it has SR and every other subsequent time they'll meet it, it has SR. It's like um, I was doing some research for a buddy because he was looking for something to do for a homebrew that he was going to put on to DM uh, DM Guild. And looking back at the 3.4 rule, uh, 3.5 rules, it was going over before the switch to 4th edition, it was going over um, how you can modify monsters... Within, I can't remember if it was the Dungeon Master Guide 2 or Dungeonscape. It might be Dungeonscape. Where they're like, let's have a chimera that focuses on its breath weapon.
0: You want me to grab it and double check what's over let's there? Let's grab it. I think oh. it's
1: Dungeonscape. <laughs> it's uh, Modifying Monsters. And it's like, what if we had a chimera that focused it on its bite? What if we had a chimera that focused it on an alternate ability it had, like the barbs on its tail? Like, what about that? So, kind of refocusing the roles of the monster to fit the setting the monster's put into. And I really like that idea, because it not only switches up you as the GM to play the monster differently, it refreshes the monster for the players. Because the players don't realize, wait, I thought a Chimera could only do one thing. But wait the Chimera is doing something completely different. Not only is the Chimera smaller because it's a dungeon Chimera, it's using its breath weapon more. It's not flying. It's like using the walls with the acrobatics checks to get behind us. It has lingering breath on its breath weapon. Like it's doing these alternate things. And I wanted to, not, not in a jerk way, but in a refreshing way and in a challenging way, keep players on their toes in order for them to be able to realize that, you know, they make a choice, they see where that choice goes, and they see how they keep up with the other players in supporting them within the battle. I'm going to embarrass people, if you'll allow me, Jason. I'm not going to name any names. Uh, Group 4 was terrible. Group 4 was terrible. Group 4 did nothing, except try to make, and I'm going to point them out, the gnome sorcerer Goro Was a horrible abomination In the sight of many players And his own player But he decided to play him in a certain way He tried to make a Turret with a trebuchet on it That could launch Magically infused explosive monsters In enemy kingdoms And we had another guy Who was literally the engineer <laughs> Of said tower Trebuchet tower they did nothing to stop the big baddies. So for an entire calendar year, for an entire six months translated into game time, Group 4 Party did nothing to stop the big baddies. Nothing. And then that's how we ended up with what I have right here is the play new player um, rule set that I have. is We have a darker theme enabled and hardcore mode engaged. Because now rampant cults of an evil forgotten god are running around because no one stopped them from getting the power and the relics and the magic they needed to return back to, you know, their glory days. And everyone was saying, fuck group four. They're lazy. They didn't do nothing. <laughs> Who's this Goro guy? Let me go talk to my friends, my extra planner friends. Let me put a hit out for this little gnome sorcerer. And then, you know, that led to other, like, internalized jokes and stuff like that. And then that that helped people realize, wait, if we don't do something with the big daddy, the big daddy comes up and says, this is my house now. Get out. And then we can't do anything about that. Because we haven't leveled. We don't have the items. We don't have the knowledge. We don't know what's going on. We don't have the intel or whatnot. And then we get kicked out of our own house. And then we're left on the street and we're in trouble. And then when we actually start to try to fight back, we get our ass handed to us because we just haven't been following up with anything.
0: Yeah. no, yeah. The phrase I like is, it's a big world. There's a lot going on. Yes, you exactly. You don't know most of it. Exactly. So the closest we got here is the alternate builds for various yes, monsters.
1: That's it right there.
0: Chimera being right there on the top. So... Dungeonscape, also home of the Factotum, most broken class in third yes. edition.
1: Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's amazing class. It's a horrifying class. I saw someone put out a, uh, a Pathfinder-inspired version of the Factorum. It's called the Savant. He basically pulls out a storybook and says, I'm a wizard now. It's because yep. I learned about Bob the wizard and I tell his story and I can suddenly cast spells and do other things. It's ridiculous, but so, glorious.
0: The only time I've ever been banned from playing a class was after playing the fact totem and somebody was like, no, I'm never allowing this class again. This is-
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually banned from playing Dread Necromancer. And then another time, a buddy of mine was like, Derek, I need you to come play your Dread Necromancer because there's this other guy who always comes and plays games with us, but he always makes characters that kills other people's characters and ends the game with just him being the survivor. I need you to be my anti-ganker. And I was like, okay, I could do that.
0: <laughs> just make eye contact, be like, come and get it.
1: But, oh no, he was doing the uh, Fell Drain Magic Missile Sorcerer build. And I was like, I'm a level 20 dragon necromancer. You just made me tickle. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I'm like, skull bomb, ne- necrotic skull bomb, maximized enervation. And he's like, oh god. And I was like, you're oh unconscious. God. Coup de gras. And he's <laughs> like, now I just resurrect you with greater undead and you're my minion. And he was just like, can he do that? And the GM's like, Derek, how much- I'm using 15,000 black onyx stones in gold. And he's like, he could do it. Just throws the book down. He could do it. Go with okay. it.
0: Yep. So we have, as per usual, wandered off topic.
1: just uh, are beautiful.
0: Yeah. So homebrew is obviously a big place for allowing some alternate rules. Um, you know, by the pins you got, I'm sure you're familiar with society stuff where alternate rules are locked out to prevent exactly that situation of. The guy who's going to come through and kill everybody and mess with the rest of the table, mm-hmm. but Certainly. you know there, I, I make th- make this joke pretty much once an episode. If you do it at home, the Paizo Police are not going to come knocking on your door. <laughs> and uh, you know, we I have run through quite a few different alternate rules. Uh, we just in our last episode we discussed kit bashing, you know, bringing mm-hmm. rules in from other systems with. Uh, The alternate rules, the ones we're talking about here, are largely ones that are built into the system. You know, words of power are in Ultimate Magic, Uh, Ultimate Combat, I believe. It's Ultimate uh, Combat or Ultimate Equipment that has the piecemeal armor and um, Mm -hmm. armor as DR stuff. There's a lot of those that are just in there because over 10 years, even Paizo began to realize people are going to want a different way to play this game. You know, and it's one of the reasons why they expanded out into things like gunslingers and technology and, uh, you know, have such robust stuff for, you know, um, vigilante and social encounters and things like that. Because it really is about just making sure that, A, you're it's not just the boringness of like, okay, you're in this situation, just roll a skill check and move on. But, all you know, it's, it's all about keeping it fresh making sure that exactly. it's, it's an interesting thing but at the same so time keep
1: the life in it yeah keeping it going
0: yeah well, one of the the big things about this is like how do you implement them because with pathfinder there are so many rules like there are so many things that are already out there and i know with our home games you know we make no apologies for the fact that we just don't use some of the rules because it's just that much more complicated how do you guys decide which ones you are and aren't using? Is it a trial and error thing, or do you just you try to use as many as possible, or is it mostly just like, you know, you look it up as needed?
1: So with Tales of the Tower, um, predominantly in this high-end playstyle campaign setup, we use very specific rules to help with the character and the player experience, and it's been through trial and error, to be quite honest with you, Jason. It's been when I've introduced a rule and we've used it for a certain playtime, and then people realize we do like it or we don't like it, and then we keep it in or we kick it out, and then we move on to another one. Um, predominantly, I try to read the table to be able to see how not only is the how the character handling it, but also how the player is handling. Because the character can handle it well, but the player can be very confused. It's like I don't understand. How this rule is working in this particular instance. Or I understand how the rule works. I'm just not at all like I just don't like it. Or I don't see the purpose in us using it in the game. In this campaign setting. And predominantly through the trial and error. You find out specifically really fast. Certain things do work really fast. Certain things don't. But every now and then there's that little... Splinter that just jabs up in there And then you realize This was a terrible choice <laughs> We have to get rid of this We have to reopen the wound To pull it out and get it out of there And then disinfect the bejesus out of it
0: No and Admit that it was a bad idea and... Exactly we have to conclude
1: and say Alright my bad everybody This didn't work out We thought it was working But clearly in the long run it did not Um On a, a point to meet back Jason I have to slightly disagree and play the Azmedean advocate. I think Pathfinder Society does have a separate set of alternate rules because of the way they handle item creation.
0: This is true and a variety of other things with some of the 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 bonus feats, the way they hand way you know no evil. You are exactly, you are yes. very much correct. Yeah, they do have yes. their own set of specific, you know, these are rule changes for playing at a convention.
1: But those aren't necessarily the same way as you've connected like the other choices that are actually in the published material that are alternate recognized rule sets and you know sometimes as we've mentioned before you have to figure out what kind of a game the players want, and then curtail the rules to be able to fit that kind of play style. Specifically, also, if you're playing with friends and you know them very well and you've played games with them before, you can figure out armor's damage direction works very well for us. We like that kind of play style. Particularly, we don't agree with the vance kind of style of magic that the wizard needs to refresh his brain with magic spells every day. Let's go with Words of Power. It helps us to be a little bit more versatile. It helps us to be able to keep a better flow of the, the average spellcaster and the game style of how we want magic to actually work in the world. And let's go forward with that. And then everyone can agree, okay, cool, yeah, we like that idea. And then you just go with it.
0: Yeah. How much, like, how much discussion do you have before introducing a new rule with your, with your players
1: I'm going to say something that I'm pretty sure some people may agree with and some people don't I believe very much in the session 0
0: Oh, huge advocate personally
1: very big advocate whether it's starting for a brand new campaign or it's starting up for a brand new play test of a rule I believe in session 0 let's break it down Let's all sit down at the table before we start the game for 30 minutes. Let's go over what it is, how it works, a given example, in a situation. This is how we're going to introduce this. A quick little 3x5 cheat sheet index card. Hand it out. Okay. Are we good on the example? No? Okay, let's go over it one more time. All right. From now on, until we decide whether it works or not, this rule is now in the game. And then we start playing from there.
0: Have you ever had a group like just unanimously look at this rule and just say, no?
1: Yes. Group 3 was a group of some of my now seasoned most veteran players and people who had really the only time they had played Dungeons & Dragons or any other type of tabletop RPG game was one time at a convention and that was like four years ago. So they had... They had the idea of how it worked, of what what the flow was when it came to a combat or a skill check. But when we were trying to do skill challenges, kind of pseudo Dungeons Dragons 4th edition, kind of a mix of other things according to um, Complete Intrigue and all that other stuff, with the, um, with the style of skill chases and other things, um, after, it was like three sessions... Most of them were like, we just can't wrap our heads around this. Like, we understand that there needs to be a certain level of successes and that, you know, failures are our thing. However, we feel that when we reach the certain level of failures, that kind of completely closes off the option for us to continue in this given activity or in this given chase or in this given duel of words or whatever, that we just don't like how that interrupts the mental flow of the game. That was that was I have to say the most wondrous and brilliant failure that I've ever seen when running an alternate rule system um, I will
0: admit I have had not great experiences with trying to do skills challenges uh, as well like I find most groups don't enjoy them yes in my personal experience I I personally think they're fantastic but I just most people don't so I have just kind of given up on on having those because they just they don't seem to fit why most people want to play.
1: I also have to like realize that while something in a way may be fun for me, and it may be fun for the player, the player doesn't see the benefit of it for their character, and that is usually what interrupts the gameplay. That is what interrupts the game flow. So while we all may agree this is a fun rule. The way that the motivation and other things like that curtail into how the character moves forward with it, it just doesn't work. Piecemeal armor was kind of the same way. Really, I can count on my hands the number of pure martial builds that I've seen within this game. Um, which is, as of right now, I'll I'll bring him up because I know who I'm going to send him in this video and I'm just going to watch him die inside a little bit. Sovereign is a Jotun Azamarian druid who I can count on my hand how many times he's cast a spell in combat. Other than that, <laughs> he just hits things with his gargantuan-sized ridiculous sword that he got through planner dealings, through making friends with dwarves, finding a meteorite, and then somehow gaining wings and has a rock and... <laughs> I mean that works for him. That works yeah. for Softest player. I mean it sounds awesome. It does. Especially when he can't fit into a castle and then he's gotta change sizes. Or yeah. when he tries to wild shape into something and he realizes that technically he's a size smaller in the wild shape than he is when he is in his normal form and he's just like, Damn it! I can't be large size yet. Damn it. <laughs> um, speaking of which with that player particularly he didn't like Words of Power Um, it just didn't speak to him as a player Um, and come to think of it some of the other people that were playing in that group decided for role reasons that they were going to play different classes and the classes that they were going to play as Words of Power wouldn't have done anything for them and so that's that's kind of another pseudo failure with alternate rules that ended up happening, yeah. just because, I mean, the party, the party condition just didn't just didn't need it to yeah. change up the rules.
0: I mean, that's one of the big things about these alternate rules is they're alternate rules because they're not as, not always going to be as applicable as the base rules out of the core rulebook. Exactly. So that's, yeah. So you you do have to before introducing it, you know. The, the, again, this is one of the things that gets brought up in every single episode. It seems like you need to have a table discussion before you're making any changes to make sure that everybody has a chance to look at these things and be like, well, yes, I, you know, yes, yay, nay, and everybody, you know, basically has an equal number amount of say. How have you ever tried like a mixed bag where like this player is using words of power but this player is not?
1: We tried putting something like that through when um, when Group 2 was coming through because we had a weird mix of players and characters in that group. Um, it was almost as if they decided the entire party to play Clerics, uh, even though technically one of them was a Divine Wizard. Um, yeah, meh. It just... One of them really really liked it, one of them thought it was a very weird kind of evasive way of trying to adjust magic to just be its own thing rather than kind of dividing it up into divine magic, arcane magic and all that stuff. Um, As I recall we did about five sessions and then they kind of said bam bam veto Let's, let's not do this anymore. And yeah, it was a little bit more difficult trying to figure out, okay, oh, you are using words of power. Okay, you aren't. Okay, so that's a divine spell. This is just its own thing. And oh, you're using this prefix suffix or you're utilizing this ability. Okay, the feat you're using is changing how this interacts with this and that. And it, it just seemed to be overly complex and convoluted and really broke down social interactions and combat and that was where we were having like it was supposed to be just this quirky little thing of okay you're introduced to the thieves guild and the slayers guild and it turned out to be like an hour-long combat just because of words of power figuring out who was who wasn't using it Um, the modifications of okay they need to do this they need to do that or they don't do this or they don't do that and yeah it just bogged down combat a lot, and that was just the moment where we said, this just is not working.
0: Yeah, Ed, that's, uh, I mean, having a group that's almost all casters anyway is... Oh, I mean, especially the higher level you get, the more, quite frankly, tedious it's going to be, but then having a mix of different systems, that would be kind of... Uh, I can't actually, off the top of my head, think of a worse group to dm than a whole group of casters with different systems
1: exactly i lost (sighs) for that because like i could i realized at the beginning of that combat before the end of it like i'm gonna have to bring up to the group this just isn't working but they didn't they did it on their own they realized nah this isn't working for us this is this is too much yeah. And so, like, I didn't have to address the table with the idea, how how about we just drop this rule and we keep going with the, the normalized style of magic?
0: Yeah, I mean, I once spent an hour at a convention for a group to get past a bridge that had collapsed, you know, like it was trapped, to triggered to just fall down. And they spent an hour trying to figure out how to pull it back up. And I'd rather sit through that again <laughs> than to <laughs> than to go through a round of one of those combats because, holy holy crud, uh, I know even, even now, like, I, I'm playing a 6th level sorcerer in one of my home games, and even that, sometimes I have to stop and go, okay, my plan just changed, because the dude I was going to target's down, and it takes me 5 minutes to look at my spells and just make a new decision, and, you know, I've been playing, that's just a basic sorcerer, and I've been playing for years, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. as much as I would love to have words of power it, there's a time and place for all things, you know, and exactly. I think I think smaller groups also probably make it easier to experiment with alternate rules. What What would you say?
1: Um. So this is the point where I have to embarrass myself. Um. Oh, and my keep your clothes on, to sh- please. Show of affection. Oh no, I'm not going to do that.
0: Okay.
1: I have an OnlyFans for that.
0: <laughs> um. Link in the description.
1: Link in the description. In the doodly-doo. Thank you. Um, Uh, the
0: doodly-doo! I know. I recognize that reference.
1: (laughs) (laughs) At one point, Jason, I was a madman, and I had no idea mentally while I was doing this. I didn't even think I hated myself, but I was doing this. I was running two tables on alternate weeks for a total of 18 players. A table of nine and a table of nine. Because that's just what the demand was at the game club.
0: yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's always more demand for... As soon as you're willing to DM, you'll, your table will fill up.
1: Exactly. And then someone's friend hears about the game and wants to sit in. And then someone who's new to the club who has heard about it from somewhere else, like at the, the local game store or something like that, is like, I want in. Do you have a spot? And it's like, uh, we could pull three tables together, sure. Uh, why are there nine people at this table? Okay. Are you going to be here every week? Because we meet every other week. And they're like, yeah. I was like, uh, okay. Um, what character did you bring? And I was like, I brought this. And I was like, okay, cool. Let me review your sheet. And then uh, do you know someone else's character for like kind of a work into the game? Or do you want a self-intro? Kind like of figure out how they want to get involved with that. And then... Um, we just kind of weeded people out as people graduated, people moved away, people transferred, people went into the military, people got full-time jobs and couldn't make it on Friday nights. Um, and then, you know, we eventually get down to our core players at the table. So yeah. Four people, five people who are always there, who are invested. And um, that's when I Im- implemented a GM rule for me was... Folders, Player folders. I'm a big advocate of player folders.
0: Do you hold on to them, or do you let them do it?
1: It is their responsibility, as dictated in the Session Zero rules allotment. I go to Staples. I get a bunch of colors. They come in. Each one of those folders has this. It has a second page, which a bunch of rumors or a bunch of descriptions of what just any normal person within the tower lands knows is going on at that time or within the past a hundred years through rumors through stories through little books or you could just ask any old timer on the corner of the street and he's like hey old man can you tell us about this and he's like yeah how do you not know about this and it has extra blank paper in it it has a pencil. It has index cards for like little notes they could jibble and give to me or give to another player. First come, first serve. You get your pick of your favorite color. Once all the colors are gone, you know you have to go buy your own folder.
0: And this is also probably what prompted you to be such a big fan of Session Zeros, is to avoid that nine-player table and you not knowing what's going on and yes. you know trying to figure out how to shoehorn somebody in in the middle of a session. Exactly. Yeah. To no, I. flow yeah i never i never hit the that amount of players by any means but like i you know i game on alternate weekends and i eventually just started telling them like hey guys i'm gonna take a break from dming Mm -hmm. you know like i'm not asking i'm just like we're gonna finish this part of the adventure and i'm done because i was running adventures for both and by play by post games and, and 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 it just was like this is too much i can't keep doing all this we luckily, you know, have some pretty solid players like yourself. You know, we've little down to the few who are going to show up on a regular basis. And I think the most I ever had at a table was 14 for a one-off. Big old combined one-off. And that, I swore to myself, I'm never, never going above seven again. Never and even again, then, yep. I try never to go above six because that's 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 kind of the spot where it's like, okay, uh, combat rounds should last just long enough and and this is just general advice to a lot of new DMs your eyes will get bigger than your stomach you will find yourself so passionate and happy and I will tell you right now you. I hope you never lose it but you will get your chance to try all the stuff you want to try
1: yes it may not take, be all at once it may be in the future but take your time don't burn yourself out
0: yeah because DM burnout is a real thing and, you know, I personally have found there are times when I didn't even realize I was getting burned out. And then, like, I got to take a break and I was just like, oh, that feels nice. It does. Yeah. You know, let your mind rest a bit. And then, you know, I also find this is a great way to get a lot of those you know, to reflect on a lot of those changes you've made, you know, just to be able to step back and think mm-hmm. about it. once again we've wandered off topic again uh, off alternate rules into other game stuff but it's uh then let me
1: let me help realign us let's talk about the two greatest successes of alternate rules that i have in tales of the tower and that is mythic adventures mythic tears are awesome and also of hero points
0: okay well, I, I'm gonna be obnoxious and make you start with hero points. let's start with the second one.
1: All right, hero points. So hero points I have are actual tokens. I've taken actual little poker chips and I've taken some really nice paint markers and I've colored them up and then I put a sealer on them. And whenever you do something really cool game wise, you make a really the rogue makes or the bard makes a really cool snikey remark or something you know flip them a token. You cash in the token. It either gives you plus 5 on your next skill check, minus 5 on the next enemy's skill check. You can also do the plus 5 or minus 5 on attacks. You can flip it in and be able to help give an advantageous bonus on if you're doing a craft. So let's say you're trying to craft that new ring. Let's say you don't even have one of the spells. You just find somebody with a luck roll after you turn in your token. That has the spell that you need. You increase the DC as appropriate for the item for not having the spell. But you get to hire that person as a spellcaster at a discount. Because a friend of a friend told you about so and so. At the little local shop. You go and find him. Here come help me make this ring. And the hero points have evolved. The two things that I've had to use the hero points with. Have actually been to. You know you could turn it in and forfeit your next one to get an extra attack at a minus five or you can turn it in and forfeit your next one to be able to get whatever your wisdom bonus is doubled for a will save or whatever your constitution score is doubled for a fortitude save or whatnot. and you know the, the way that the players are able to utilize that helps a lot with you know the heroic moments or the inspiring moments that they have ...when they're in the middle of a combat... ...or they're in the middle of a skill check... ...and, you know, it helps them to realize... ...I've got this game currency... ...we're in a boss fight... ...oh, hell yeah, I'm going to use this... ...and it's... ...it's utterly, utterly glorious... ...when, if I'm going to embarrass someone else... ...Kavitka is a catfolk bow slayer... ...right now... ...the way that the player has... ...kitted this character... He can outrange the Leviathan. <laughs> All 100 of its eye rays, it can outrange it. And he can overcome its damage reduction. Kavitka doesn't need line of sight to shoot. He just pulls out a map and then shoots you. And, you know, it's utterly hilarious because he'll be like, "No, I found out this dude's name. He hurt one of my NPC friends." He came to my house, he disrespected me, and my cow, and my ancestors, or whatnot. This dude's dead. <laughs> give me the, give me I understood the that reference name. too. He's dead. And then, you know, in the middle of the combat, Kavika's player's like, nah, I'm cashing this in. We're going all out full round attack. I'm going to shoot six arrows into this dude. It's going to be seven because of multi-shot, but oh, this guy's dead. I don't care. And, you know, he just cashes in his token and everyone's like, is he doing it? He's doing it. And then he's like, okay, blood read, how much HP does he have? Oh, guess what? He's not going to have any. Because the first one on the multi-shot is a crit. And the dude just melts like he was shot by a ray gun. And it was glorious. And, you know, it turned out that he did something cool after the fact. But he turned in his token for his extra attack at a minus five. So he doesn't get his next hero token. And he's like, I'm totally cool with that, the guy's dead, I wrote out his name off my death list. He's done, he's dust. He's like, I peed on his corpse, he's done.
0: So it definitely sounds like one of the best things, the party, not just that player, but it sounds like the whole party enjoyed that experience.
1: Exactly, and it was enabled many ways, not because of just the setup, but because of the hero point. It allowed them to be able to get that reward that they wanted in order to better utilize the experience during the battle for a favorable outcome because they knew how it worked. They had previously used it. It was something that, you know, we had helped evolve a little bit after we saw how certain parts of it worked, certain parts of it didn't work. And again, as you mentioned, you know, we kind of talked as a table. Where do we want this 100 sessions from now, 20 sessions from now, 50 sessions from now? Do we like how this is working out? Do we think it can work better? Sometimes you just have to stop and take a breath and then realize in the quiet of the moment, this is working, but how much more do we want it to work? Or how can it work better? How often do we actually use this effect? Is it worth keeping around or is it worth switching it out for something? But in whole, we all agree, we want to keep hero points, but how do we want to evolve it to something more?
0: Yeah. Well, tell us your second story.
1: Alright. Mythic adventures, mythic tears, are the most ridiculous thing ever, and I love them. Because they are the closest thing Paizo has ever made in Pathfinder to allow kind of the epic level handbook kind of shenanigans to happen. I'm going to say it right here, and there's going to be a lot of 3.5 people who agree with me. Dire charge is stupid. Being able to do a full round attack after a charge is stupid. Yeah. But you have to be 21st level or 20th level to be able to do that. Well, let me just say, Mythic Adventures, one Mythic tier lets you do that. You can throw a dagger as a trickster that overcomes all damage reduction. That deals full damage to something. And you can just keep doing it as long as you just cash in your mythic uses. Or right. hey, I'm the bard. I wanna do I wanna I wanna serenade this person, get a little bit of a discount, you know. I deserve something nice. I want that robe over there that gives me, you know, a plus two to my diplomacy or something. I don't have the cash for that. I want the gold for that. So uh let me just roll a diplomacy check. Uh, let me add my D6 to it <laughs> because of my mythic tier. To get a discount. You know. It's ridiculous little things like that. We had a. Rimeling dragon. This is the most ridiculous thing. I. I was in the middle of this. Glorious dumpster fire of a combat. Realizing. (laughs) They're actually doing it. Like. I thought they were going to find. Like. The gimmick thing that I put in there. To help kill this dragon. But the rogue's literally just throwing daggers at it. Using his mythic ability. Overcoming the damage reduction. Killing this thing. All by himself. How did we get here? <laughs> and it was just him using chunk, 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 chunk. Dragon's dead. Dragon's dead. It was supposed to be a diplomacy encounter. It was supposed to be <laughs> the dragon's angry. You messed with its stuff. It wants reimbursement. It wants you to leave its territory and... And, you know, next time you do come back, you ask for permission, you give it some gold, you give it maybe an emerald or a jewel or something, and then, you know, it just hits you on the tush on your way out, and you go about your business as friends. But no, they're like, we're going to straight up kill this dude. He's dead. We want his stuff.
0: I think I've heard this story a thousand times in different variations. You you know you were supposed to talk to him, but now he's dead. Now
1: now he's a pincushion. Because of the amount of daggers you just loaded up into his chest.
0: I actually immediately thought when you're talking about throwing daggers and bypassing all DR, I'm just like, Tarasque. Yes. Which is actually one of the big
1: baddies of my campaign. There's this beautiful meme that I've seen, and I'll have to find it. It shows like a big, glorious snow landscape, and it says my players just running amok, doing their own things, not realizing what evil... Lurks within the depths of the earth, and then it shows this little hole with this polar bear sticking its head out, and it's like the Tarasque. Bonjour. Sure. How are Bonjour. you doing?
0: <laughs> have you ever heard the expression uh, when the party stalled? In man walks in walks the man with the gun. Yes. Yes, it, I've, it's I've that. that
1: in, in walks the man with the cocked gun.
0: You have that, but you know, it's just when things go too off the rails, and you can't get you know instead of having bumpers sometimes it's just a big monster that, you know... It's like, no. You don't go that way, because that's what lives over here.
1: Exactly. And it's just waving at you on the other side of the fence. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Glorious. Yep. Uh, I I can't count the number of times I've had players be like, well, we want to go do this thing. I'm like, okay, but this is what's there. I'm not going to stop you, but... (laughs) And that's when I say, what happens is not my fault. It's yeah. your choice. What
1: happens as a consequence of that choice is not my fault.
0: Yeah, I'm making you aware of what you're doing, and now it's your choice. How often have you had players suggest alternate rules that, you know, to, to add into the game or to try out?
1: That's only happened two times, to be honest with you, Jason. Um, the first time was one of my. He's not with. He's not been with the group for several years, but he was one of my most senior players at the time when Group One and Two were playing. Um, a good buddy of mine. We've been playing games for a decade, back with the original Third Edition, three point five Edition. He suggested the idea of Crit and Fumble cards, but that we would write, like the group would write. Yeah. And you know, I can I can see how in some things, like I know there is another podcast. Um, network that does that, that works very well because it's part of their Patreon subscription. And I can see that being very successful.
0: But with our group... Yeah, and if you know what they're talking about, you know that some of the people on that network hate those things.
1: Oh, they hate them, (laughs) but they have so much fun, especially when it's an enemy-named character and they're like, yes! Die! Just suck it and die! For us, it didn't work out because it didn't translate well into the game. So we would go off of the card, and the problem was, and, um, so the way crits work in Pathfinder is very strange. If you have a 2 times crit, and you have a 3 times crit, it doesn't exactly translate well to one another because of the way that the math escalation works. The same thing also with dice progression. There's a whole chart that I've had to, you know, put up as some sort of mantra scroll on my wall to help me to get over the idea of, okay, no, 2D6 does not translate to this going down a step. It translates as this going down a step because it's technically half a step. Or this is not how it translates going up a step and this because it's a half step, but then it's also another half step on a different part of the chart because of the size of the creature the convoluted mathematic equations that happen with it sometimes is the downfall so we would be sitting there in the middle of combat and i'd be like this is a times three crit that does double damage or if it's on a monster that isn't capable of taking precision damage then it does exploding die and it's kind of like We've spent 15 minutes, 10 minutes, trying to figure out how this works well right now in the middle of combat. That's 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the game that we're not going to get back because we've been trying to, you know, use a Rosetta Stone to translate this card. Um, The other one was a honor system, but it was a different honor system. And I have to say that this is one of my regrets as a GM, Jason. This is one of the moments where I have to actually take own what happened. Um, we were trying to use a different honor system based off an older set of the rules from the 3.5 third edition days, trying to translate it into Pathfinder to meet our needs. And I just did not take the time to research Better that um, in the book campaign settings, Land of the Limnorn Kings, there is an honor and reputation rule set specifically designed to be able to either use in that specific area of Galion or to be utilized elsewhere. Yeah, I had not realized that book had been published around the time that we were trying to figure that rule out, and so you know, I've since then implemented it into the setting to help characters who follow that kind of alignment set but at that time i honestly have to say that unfortunately because we were able to come up with something that i lost a good player to that because of my failing of being able to assist with the translation into the set of rules that, that we had going and you know that is unfortunate and you don't always get victories like we have to remember we don't always get victories and sometimes life happens like, one of my friends had a baby. One of my other friends got a better job, but it required him to fly halfway around the world because he travels like 70% of the time from his job. And he's not always capable of getting an internet connection, either through his, you know, satellite system or through the local area he's working when he's not at the office. He doesn't have an internet connection. And, you know, we, we have to realize that some things work, some things don't in the game. Sometimes that happens in real life. And, you know, we want to keep those victories with us, but sometimes you know we also have to realize that we've got to let stuff go. We've got to, oh, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had, I've been through so many different players at my table. The, the four of the guys I started playing with when I first started in 2007, I'm still with, but I, I quickly, like we talked about, my eyes got bigger than my stomach, and I started another group to meet on the opposing every other weekend. Right? I think we've had two dozen people come through that group in seven or eight years. Like, it's just... You know, like you said, some people you know have kids, get married, move, get better jobs, or all of the above, all at the same time it seems like, and they're just... You know, as fun as it is to play with some people, sometimes they they drop, and sometimes... Like, we had one person, they just didn't want to play Pathfinder anymore. You know, they wanted to play like White Wolf games and Palladium games and you know Vampire and stuff like that. The rest, of, like the rest of the group, just didn't. So we parted on good terms, but it was still a, a parting of ways. I mean, at the end of the day, I know we're we're getting off topic again. At the end of the day, the game is a social game. For all that you know, it was originally stereotyped as the you know the outcasts and the nerds and everything like that. You don't play this game by yourself. You play it with everybody exactly. else, and exact everything you know is about that group dynamic. Without a good group dynamic, you just, you don't have, have a game. Go That's ahead.
1: actually what I have in the rule set right here. It says that this is a high-end play-style campaign. That means that the flying when it comes to combat and such, no throwing the battles. There are real consequences for your in-game decisions. You must learn to roll with it, and recover from it. As A level 10 player, starting level 10 player, you will be facing some mid to high level monsters. You need to communicate with your teammates in regards to how you deal with them. This is a team slash co-op game. Help each other push through, and when you do, you will triumph. And sometimes that doesn't exactly translate to you beat the monster. Yeah. And people have to realize that. Um. I'm going to mention something, and I know it's going to be a controversy, and I don't know what your personal feelings are. Oh, well, uh, I hate it. I just I hate Jason. it. You hate it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot at the time within the last couple of years about the Mercer effect.
0: Oh. Uh, uh, and the
1: or- over-glorifying of certain things. But I would like to point out something, because we've been talking about this this whole time, is he knows his players, because they've been playing for ages. Oh, Yeah. He knows them. They know each other. They communicate on a fundamental level more than just some group of random players starting to get together. They've started sitting at the table and they've started to figure out what works for them for what doesn't. They've been playing for ages. What once started out as a kind of birthday surprise for someone has turned into this huge other thing. And that's kind of also what happens with my game is I was simply asked by someone who I I greatly appreciate as a mentor and someone who really helped me to realize not only some of the professional achievements that I could make as a person and in work, but also, you know, overcome certain anxieties or instabilities mentally, physically, emotionally, that challenged me, that... Professor Straight helped me overcome in being able to establish this game. And that's kind of what you mentioned before. What was once thought to be the game of outcasts, of weirdos or other things like that, people who don't exactly follow you know, what would ter- stereotypical social norms and whatnot is, is something that anyone can just grab and run with and own as their own. And then gather together friends and other like-minded people to be able to have their circle of friends, their circle of colleagues, and move forward with. And that's the beauty of the game. That's the entire point of the game is to be able to communicate together with a group of individuals that you can trust and fundamentally work with at a a table to be able to go forward in this co-optional game, this cooperative game to be able to achieve what you want to achieve, whether that's getting gold and getting magic items or making lifelong lasting friends that you still communicate with or to be able to have these great moments that you can share with people at your local game store or with your children or you could turn into a book or into a podcast or for you to inspire you to be able to write a campaign setting book or to write a play or something. And that's the entire point of the game is to have fun. To be able to establish what you and the others at the table want and move forward in that goal. And sometimes, honestly, people just miss the mark. They don't understand what the point is. They don't understand what the collective mindset is. And when they fail, they think it's because everyone was at fault when they realized they didn't establish what the goal was. Or they didn't Set see the how expectations. to get to the goal. Exactly. Setting the expectations, setting the idea of this is how we want to move forward. How do we get there? What yeah. What is the journey that gets us there? Okay, wait. We're on the journey. This didn't work. Let's change course. Let's get back on course and get there again. There's one last thing that I'd like to point out, if oh, I yeah, may. Oh, yeah. Shoot. Horror rules. Uh, yeah. Group 4 really fucked up real bad like all of those players names are cursed under breath at the tables by group 5 and by every other group because they've seen how the consequences has completely changed the game style we follow with corruption depravity insanity dementia and strange weather conditions you can be in the middle of the plains and it starts snowing and it's a desert plains. You yeah. can be in the middle of the mountains and it starts raining frogs. You could open up a jar, get hit by some weird chemical compound that turned into a drug, and next thing you know, the character's howling at the moon. Next thing you know, you saw Cthulian horror in-game, and your wisdom score is dropped because you didn't meet the role. I love those rules. Hard Adventure is an underrated book, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, uh I'll, I'm gonna, as you said, uh, Asmodian's advocate. I mm. hate the horror rules. I hate the very concept of them because I hate anything that takes away control of my character. Like, yes, I.
1: That's that's what you fight against, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there have been times where we've discussed that as a group, like playing the. I'm like, I don't. Like I, you guys can play. It's reached the point where I'm like, you guys can play it if you want. I just will not attend those sessions because I do not want that. Like, I vehemently don't. And my group has been very gracious and chosen not to play those because I, I just have such a strong aversion to it.
1: As a player, I do not like how they've instilled some of those rules as how it affects your character, specifically the corruption route. I think it's cool that it helps you unlock certain things, but the way that it affects your character in retching control away from you as certain things happen i i as a player do not like that so when i like you when i play and i find out they're running those rules i usually have to drop out of the group or say let's try something else but as a gm specifically with this group of players specifically group five they're into it because they've seen you know, what has happened, because they've been on the living end of the consequences of the previous group, group four, so they've seen what happens when the big baddie gets the powerful artifact that allows them to start doing terrible scrying mind attacks and other stuff like that, they've seen what happens when they're able to get a portal to Carcosa open, and start letting, you know, terrible, horrible Biakai and other stuff through in order to attack the attack their enemies but then it ends up attacking one of the local villages and then someone gets infected with you know knowledge of the yellow sign and then starts talking about the pallid prince or the amber sovereign or the yellow king and whatnot it's just this beautiful thing and they love it they think it's horrifying and adorable and, you know, I honestly have to think sometimes I have to question what their mentality is at the table versus when they're, you know, at home doing their own thing, playing a video game or reading a book.
0: More power to them. Uh, <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, that does just kind of reiterate the point where it's even though you as the DM don't like it because they as the players enjoy it, like you're making that compromise between exactly. know, basically what the majority at the table wants, because, again, listeners, I that sounds like we're. I'm beating a dead horse at this, but communication, you know, the is key at, at the tables because it is everybody's game.
1: You want a level of communication, transparency, and agreement between everyone at the table, and yep. that is what helps set up the table for success.
0: Yep. Uh, we won't. I won't rehash some of the stories from previous episodes, but you know, there there have been some. Some good times with this and some not great times with this, but I can leave you at this. This conversation has been a great time. Uh, The outline I sent at the beginning of this was a little bit sparser than some of the others, but we have managed to fill our time, our hour, superbly. Great insights, and I love talking to you. Do you have any closing thoughts for us?
1: i just like to say I, I appreciate this reach out and collaboration, Jason. Especially also, I'm looking to add Shield Bash to my podcast repertoire. Yeah. Um, I just want to give a shout-out that if you're curious about the games, whether it be Pathfinder, whether it be Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition, whether it be anything, maybe one of the older systems, you know, there are resources online, There are individuals that would be more than happy to assist you. You know, reach out to people, ask questions, find out what works for you. Maybe I do want to run Dungeons Dragons 4th edition. Maybe I don't. Maybe I want to go old school and for some reason I just like the idea of Thacko, and it gives me warm tingly feelings in the cockles of my heart. You know, just go with it. Make the choice. Decide to find out. Try a game or two. Try a session or two. If it feels good, keep playing find out if you want to run a game and then go with that. You never know until you've tried. And that is truly the idea of the success behind the hobby is being able to find out what works for you, what works for your table, if you're running or if you eventually run and then going forward with that, because momentum is what helps this hobby. I mean, Paizo was originally a publishing company that Wizards of the Coast used for its Dragon and Dungeon magazines. And then when Paizo found out that Dungeons & Dragons was moving to a different edition because 3.5 was reaching the end tail of its shelf life, they decided, hey, we're going to make a game based off that. And that's how Pathfinder came to be. You know, if you find something and you love it and it works for you and your table, go for it. You never know until you try, so go out and try. And those are just, those were the words that I'd like to leave with. And again, shout out. Thank you, Jason, so much. Um, I look forward to future collaborations. I look forward to, you know, people being able to be inspired by this and being able to go out, enjoy the hobby, and enjoy the game. And that's really what it's about, having fun.
0: Well, that being said, um, whereabouts in the country are you located? I'm wor-
1: located near the Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area.
0: So, gotcha. the DMV. Uh, so, obviously, again, probably not this time of he- time in history, uh, still during pandemic, but where is your friendly local game store?
1: Um, the one that I attend to is owned by a gentleman named Chris. It is called Huzzah Hobbies. And so, it is a Located over there in the George Washington um, campus of Ashburn, Virginia, off uh, Route seven.
0: Alright, listeners, if you're in that area, uh, even I imagine they're probably open for pickup and stuff like that. They so are, if I you guess. need some if you need some direct help, some somebody to point you in a direction, I find the your FLGs are the best places and if not there, then you can also check out your local conventions. Uh, this gets brought up all the time. You can see my lovely coaster here for the Farmageddon Game Convention, which is one that me and my friends run here in central Illinois in Farmer City. If you're not in either of those areas, you know, check out yeah, anything from, uh, I mean, just the websites for Paizo, d and There are tons of looking for group pages out there. Warhorn, Roll20, you can find yourself a place to find some people to connect with, even if it's just virtually. You know, look up your game stores, ask them. We love the hobby and we love to share it. Exactly. Uh, All right. Well, Derek, thank you very much for coming, and hopefully we will speak to you again once I'm. uh, Well, I got a lot of people lined up to talk. Hopefully they all pan out. If not, I'll be happy to. Cycle back through all the people that have had great conversations. And listeners, thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. See you next time. Shield Bash is made in association with Knights of the Octagon and Farmageddon Gaming Convention. Find us online at shieldbash.net, on Facebook at Shieldbash, on Twitter at Bash Shield, and on YouTube at Shieldbash. Music by Lee Rosevier Serpent Skull and Pathfinder are the property of Paizo Publishing Incorporated. Leave a comment on iTunes for a chance to hear us read it out on the podcast. Questions and comments can be sent to shieldbashpodcast at gmail.com.